Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sound On, a new podcast that demystifies local government by exploring stories of progress and the people that make change real. I'm your host, Adam Roof, and I serve as a city councilor for Ward 8 in Burlington, Vermont. I was first elected to the city council in 2015, the day after my 26th birthday, in fact. And in the years since, I've worked to not just make local government work better for people, but also to help others learn how anyone, with a little effort and attention, can have a lasting impact on the world around them, because progress does not happen on its own. In doing this work, I've put a special focus on bringing more young people into the process of local leadership, priority setting, and decision making. Because in a time where so much of our world is going backward, we need more young people getting informed and getting involved. This podcast is a continuation of that work, and in the episodes to come, we'll be looking at big issues, how the city of Burlington is tackling them, and how young people are being part of the solution. On our first episode, we're going to talk about the biggest issue of them all, the issue that impacts all of us and our future as a world, climate change. In a time where our national discourse is fragmented and divisive, and the federal powers that be cannot seem to chart a bold path forward towards sustainability, big cities and small towns, large corporations and individuals alike are stepping up to take action on climate. On this episode, we're going to talk with folks who have answered that call. So first, we're joined by Conrad Osterwinter, a second year at the University of Vermont. Conrad, welcome. Thank you for being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm Conrad Osterwinner. I'm from Rochester, New York, originally, and uh, it is my second year at the University of Vermont. I'm in the Rubenstein School of the Environment, and I'm studying environmental studies, and I'm very interested in climate change and climate action. What's been interesting for me to watch over the last few years is that this conversation around, around climate and climate justice has for a long time been a political issue. And for younger generations, it's it's not always that. No. Is that something that, that you agree with? And, and, and if so, talk to me a little bit more about how this isn't really a debate topic anymore. Mm-hmm. How do you see that? Um, I definitely see that it is not a political issue amongst my peers. I think that overwhelmingly we realize that this is like a bipartisan issue that we're having to face in our lifetimes. And when we become older and become adults, we're going to see the direct effects, whereas other generations didn't. So they saw it as more of a political motive, and we see it more as an adaptation. And I think that it's increasingly more mainstream for people to share their opinions on climate, especially amongst young people. 
So we see people sharing retweets and Instagram stories about the Amazon rainforest fires and about these glaciers melting and big issues that are currently happening. We also see young people really at the center of these conversations. Um, Greta Thunberg, for example, is someone who's been getting a lot of global attention. How has Greta and, and her work and her activism impacted this conversation on campus and, and amongst your peers? And, and how do you think that these sorts of activists are gonna lead to sustainable change? Definitely. Uh, I think Greta has served as a great role model. We actually, we she comes up a lot in lectures as kind of this symbol of the youth voice on climate change, similar to like the Parkland students were um, with the March for Our Lives. And I think increasingly that's important that we have these strong young voices uh, demanding change. I know yesterday she testified in front of Congress and she said, I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to the scientists. And I think that's incredibly valuable and um, important in these dialogues. Mm -hmm. Much like with what Greta is doing and, and her activism and, and her advocacy for climate action uh, here in Burlington, we have uh, a rich sense of activism and advocacy around this issue. We have a climate strike as this is being recorded on uh, the Thursday before the climate strike here in Burlington. Uh, what's your involvement in, in that? Will you be going? Uh, tell me more about what, what it's like leading up to the climate strike here in Burlington, Vermont. Instead of my environmental studies class joining for class, we're meeting on the green at the Davis Center and we're going to march down to Church Street and join the climate strike. And we're gonna join uh, with local high schools around the area and any other community members who are participating in this climate strike. And I find it uh, very inspiring. And I think it's very important that we're taking the time to address this. And I understand that a lot of people feel as though um, taking time away from studying or classes may be a distraction, but that's sort of the point. We, these are issues that we have to face, and in reality, a lot of these things will not matter if we don't begin working right now in demanding action. So uh, the, the city of Burlington, as you know, we've talked about this before, has been taking uh, has been taking action. Um, while we are a small community of, of less than 50,000 in a, in a big world that we all need to come together to address this, how do you rate the city of Burlington and in, in our effort in, in addressing this crisis? We, we recently released a net zero energy roadmap to get to net zero emissions in our uh, heating and transportation sectors. Mm -hmm. Is that a good start? Is that a good place to be? I believe that is a good place to start. And I think overall, Burlington is making important strides that I think are valuable and um, rather important for the rest of the nation to look at. I know where I'm from in Rochester, these kind of issues are not brought to the forefront. Mm. And so it's nice to see across the whole state of Vermont, actually, where the community is so engaged and wanting to combat this issue, I think it can serve as a real motivating factor for other cities across the country and hopefully other states as well to start taking action since it seems as though it's increasingly difficult to address this on a national level, especially with current administrations and 
you know, Congress. And <laughs> I, I say this a bit, right? I say this a lot, actually. Pro- progress is, doesn't happen on its own. It needs to be pushed forward. Yeah. Uh, and it's the activism and the advocacy for this issue or, or so many others that, uh, that push progress forward because it's really easy to maintain the status quo. I am curious as to how you all in Burlington leadership plan to sustain this energy towards climate justice. Yeah, and that, that, that's a good question, right? Because because government, especially local government, um, needs to be both a participator in the process, but also the practitioner on the other side to take what is being talked about, to take what is being sometimes yelled about and translate that conversation into policy. And this is part of the benevolent process of, of government where we hear from constituents, we take action, and a lot of times the policies that we enact require more action from folks in the community, which uh, is one of, the, one of the core pieces that I've been talking about with regard to the net zero energy roadmap, where this is a great policy to get to net zero energy emissions across our transportation and heating sectors here in town, but the policy is only as good as the people who are willing to take action on it and actually adopt the practices and in many, in many cases change their behavior. And so uh, th- there really is a, a symbiotic relationship between a, a community and its leadership from a local government standpoint. The roadmap to net zero is an important piece, but it's not the be all and end all. We can make a lot of progress beyond just carbon emissions, which where we need to start and be primarily focused on. But there are other strategies as well. And I think local government has a big role in in making those strategies a reality. Another question I have is in a lot of the conversations around sustainability and kind of policies that governments should be taking, a lot of that is focused around things like uh, single-use plastic bans and kind of like electric vehicle transitions. And a lot of times these are framed in a kind of a, a classist way in which upper and middle class folks are able to access these, these realms of sustainability and it primarily disadvantages low income people. And I'm wondering how you're focusing on environmental justice in that in the terms of class. You know, th- this is an important question. I think that when we talk about climate action and climate justice, we, we shouldn't talk about climate justice without focusing on both the individual and the institution. At the individual level, right, we need to be talking about livable wage. We need to be talking about paid family leave. We need to be talking about workplace safety and workplace care. And then at the institutional level, and there's a lot of overlap, as you can see, we need to be having conversations about regulations and about how the economy will shift as this transition happens and how are we going to make sure that our uh, economy doesn't go into a tailspin because when that happens, those folks that are we talking about on the individual basis who are most disadvantaged will feel the impacts first. This is a complex problem that requires focus on an individual basis while also looking at systems, whether they be economic or otherwise. Well, Conrad, thank you for being here. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your effort. And I appreciate especially you being involved in the community. So thank you again for being on the program. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. And thanks for your um, work towards climate action here in Burlington.
I'm also joined today by Darren Springer, who is the general manager at the Burlington Electric Department, which is a city department that focuses on, well, not just providing electricity to our community, but taking bold action on climate. Uh, so, Darren, uh, we're talking about climate change today on, on the podcast, and uh, your department put out a, a roadmap to the future to get to net zero energy here in Burlington. Can you talk a little bit about how we got to this point and what's, what's going to be required to make this roadmap a reality? Sure. Thanks for having me today. Of course. For us uh, in Burlington and at Burlington Electric Department, we're really building off a track record of, of doing quite a bit of work on energy efficiency. Uh, we're using roughly 6% less electricity uh, today in the city of Burlington, a growing, economically vibrant city, uh, than we were in 1989. Uh, we're actually saving our customers uh, roughly $12 million annually on electric bills through our efficiency efforts that have accumulated over time. At the same time, we were also the first city in the nation in 2014 to be recognized for sourcing 100% of our electricity from renewable generation. So we have a few really strong uh, positive steps that we've already taken. And building off of that, uh, in 2016, uh, the mayor, the Burlington Electric Department, and the Electric Commission had set a goal of trying to move to net zero energy by 2030. And what that means for us is across the electric sector, uh, the thermal sector, so heating in particular, and ground transportation, reducing and then eventually eliminating fossil fuel use by 2030. As far as I'm aware, one of the most ambitious local government climate change goals in the country. And it's also focusing on 2030 is a date that the scientific community has focused on for significant emissions reductions in order to keep temperature increase globally at or below 1.5 degrees Celsius and avoid some of the worst risks from climate change. So what are some of the primary strategies. We talked about goals. What are the strategies to get to those goals? So in the roadmap, we look at several potential solutions. Switching from fossil fuel, gasoline-powered vehicles to electric vehicles is a big part of this effort. And not just electric vehicles, but also electric bikes for commuting instead of riding in a car or electric transit buses. And those are all, we have programs across all three of those areas today. Um, if folks go to burlingtonelectric.com, you can find rebates for electric vehicles, uh, rebates on electric bikes. So electric transportation is a big part of this. And I should mention that when you spend a dollar at the gas station uh, filling up the tank, uh, most of that dollar leaves the state of Vermont's economy. Uh, only about 20 cents is staying in Vermont. If you spend a dollar charging up an electric vehicle with Burlington Electric, we estimate more than half your dollar is staying in the Vermont economy, more than three quarters of your dollar is staying in the regional economy. So this is not only a great opportunity to do the right thing environmentally, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, it's also an opportunity to buy local when it comes to energy. So electric transportation is a big piece. We also know we need to make a lot of progress reducing fossil fuel use in buildings. Uh, we need to weatherize. Uh, almost every building has to be weatherized. You know, we have to switch to things like cold climate heat pumps or geothermal heat pumps, other clean, efficient electric heating technologies. Uh, in some cases, add renewable fuels to the system, uh, whether that's renewable natural gas that can be sourced from digesters at farms or landfills, or whether that's a district heating system taking energy from our McNeil biomass plant and using that to heat our buildings. Uh, these are the types of things we're talking about with the roadmap. So with any bold and progressive plan uh, like, like this, there's always a question of how does it impact the, the economy? And, and usually when, when there are programs like this, people ask, how are you going to pay for it? 
And so what are some of the economic dynamics at play here? Um, and how have you and your team looked at them? And how are you confident that there's a way to do this and do it in a way where we're not breaking the bank at every corner? Right. I mean, and, and I should mention at Burlington Electric, even as we've made the accomplishments with renewable energy and other initiatives, uh, we haven't raised electric rates since 2009. We're actually entering our 11th year soon uh, without an increase in electric rates. So we take uh, managing our finances very, very seriously. The good news for our community is the roadmap solutions in a number of cases are cost-effective solutions. Take transportation again for an example. As a driver, um, if you're driving an electric vehicle, uh, you can charge up a lot cheaper uh, than it is to power your car with gas. At our public charging stations around town, it's the equivalent of $1.46 a gallon. And if you're charging at home, uh, off-peak, it can be as cheap as $0.60 cents a gallon equivalent uh, to drive an electric vehicle. So we can actually save money uh, on fuel. On the flip side of that, if we're using more electricity, but we're doing so in a way that minimizes the impacts on our electric grid, you know, off-peak, for example, when demand isn't high, uh, that actually has a benefit for every single ratepayer and customer of Burlington Electric. Uh, we can use our system more efficiently, actually puts downward pressure on rates by selling more electricity without having to uh, invest as much in the system. So the way we're looking at it is this is a good economic opportunity for our community and for the utility, good opportunity to buy local with energy. And in a lot of cases, we can actually help save uh, customers' money, whether it's more efficient buildings, uh, more efficient transportation. So we think this is a potential win-win economic and environmental. Uh, as I've been talking to people about this plan, a lot of good response, a lot of positive response. There have also been some questions about does it go far enough in the sense that, like you mentioned, this is focusing on transportation and heating. What's left out in this plan and what are plans for the future in addressing other sectors that we need to be focusing on? Right. So, so we're taking on the biggest uh, sources of emissions. When you look at uh, the state of Vermont, for example, heating and transportation are roughly uh, almost three quarters of the emissions uh, in the state. Electric has come down because we're 100% renewable. A lot of other utilities are moving in that direction. So electric's not as big a source of emissions as it used to be. The things that aren't explicitly covered in the plan, uh, but that we're actually working on, for example, uh, you know, think about your lawnmower. You know, it's not ground transportation. Uh, it's not a heating appliance, but it does use fossil fuel. And in fact, we found uh, looking at it that uh, lawn equipment, some of the most inefficient engines out there, uh, can account for 5 or 8% of local air pollution. Uh, so we've launched an electric mower rebate program. Even though it's not explicitly part of the net zero energy goal, it's part of our efforts to uh, reduce fossil fuel use in other areas. Another example, we launched an electric forklift rebate program. For, for businesses or, or institutions, nonprofits around town, anybody who needs a forklift, uh, we're actually offering a rebate on that. So if you have something that can be electrified, we want to electrify it, and we want to make it uh, powered with 100% renewable electricity. So we've got this plan, but what you need to make a plan a reality are people to take action. Uh, how are we getting from this plan uh, to communicating and outreach to people uh, so that they can take the steps to, to make the change? No, it's, it's a great point. Um, we want everybody in the community to have an opportunity to engage with us on net zero energy. So uh, myself and our, our director of sustainability, Jen Green, are going to be visiting all of the neighborhood planning assemblies in the community uh, to present the roadmap talk about the different programs. If you go to burlingtonelectric.com slash NZE, which stands for Net Zero Energy, uh, there's a button that says join the conversation. Uh, folks can weigh in, offer us feedback. Uh, what are our programs doing that are, are working well and what may be needed to be added so that more people can access programs? Uh, we're also really focused on our low and moderate income population as well. 
um, a number of our incentives are actually increased for low moderate income customers to try to make things more affordable. Uh, it doesn't work for us if only part of the community can participate. Uh, we need the entire community to be able to join us in this effort. Darren Springer, General Manager of Burlington Electric Department, thank you for being here, thank you for your work, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. In addition to supporting the Net Zero Energy Roadmap, the Burlington City Council recently adopted a resolution declaring a climate emergency, which, amongst other actions, called on city departments and city commissions to update the council on their efforts in addressing climate change as well. Also, as part of that resolution, the council called on our state and federal policymakers to enact legislation consistent with Burlington's net zero energy goals. On this episode, we only scratched the surface on the issue of climate change. And if there was anything that I took away from being a part of the climate strike here in Burlington, it's that we need to come together and work more collaboratively if we want to solve this crisis and the many other challenges facing our future. In future episodes, we're going to discuss major topics that are important to you, our community, and our country. We'll be highlighting young people in the community and their involvement in these solutions, as well as bringing together subject matter experts to discuss the work that we're doing at the City of Burlington. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Sound On is recorded in the Champlain College Wave Radio Studio and is produced by Luke Marcheski. Thank you.